When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm indebted to and grateful for any trans woman who did this, who has done anything remotely close to what I've done before to help make it easier for me. I, in turn, will make it easier for other people. Welcome to Ladies First with Laura Brown. I'm Laura Brown, editor-in-chief of InStyle Magazine, and each week I'm talking to a legendary lady about what she does, how she does it, and what we can learn from her. We can learn a whole lot from Tommy Dorfman. Not only is she a great actress and writer, she is entirely in her skin. Welcome to Ladies First, Ms. Tommy Dorfman. Or are you Miss Tommy Dorfman? Or Ms. Or do you want to be Dr. Tommy Dorfman? What would you like? I think doctor. Is reverend. Is, is, aren't Ms. and Miss the same? No, Ms. is like, I don't know. It's all very old-fashioned. I think Ms. is a bit more like, I'm a grown-up lady. And Miss is like, I'm an ingenue. No, bitch. No, it's Miss. It's, then. <laughs> it's Miss. I'm, I am not skipping my ingenue phase just because I'm in my late 20s. I, I think when you transition, you actually, you, I, I'm actually, so I'm no longer 29, I'm 23. I think that's how it works. You're reborn. Forever 23. Hang on, does that mean, are you still a millennial or are you a Gen Z? If I'm 23? If I'm 23, I'm a Gen Z. If I'm 29, I'm, an, I'm a millennial. I'm a chuggy. I'm a millennial. I'm all of those things. All right, Tommy Dorfman, here's the deal. I'm going to talk about when we first met. Because this is not, I don't think, a typical sentence for both of us to say. We met at the polo. I was like two months into Hollywood when I was told that I should go to the polo. It was absurd. I've not been back since. The only reason I was there was apparently to meet you. And you go to the polo and it's like, it's sponsored by Verve Clicker and all these people come and they get photographed and everything. And But people just come to like drink all the champagne until they fall down. But I wouldn't say people are propelled there by their interest in polo. Absolutely not. At the time, I wasn't getting dressed by brands yet. And so I think I wore a Bonobo suit and then I played stylist and like tucked the blazer into the pants and made it look like a jumpsuit. And then I had these like rubber Tom Brown rain loafers. But yeah, Jason introduced us because Jason and I had just met. And Jason Weinberg, who is a big giant manager force in Hollywood, who knows everybody and gets overexcited to introduce everybody to everybody in the most uncynical way possible. I think he saw me there and I looked so uncomfortable and he knew that you would be the one to make me feel more comfortable. And you were. I'd had some of the vuv. You'd had some of of the vuv and you immediately kissed me on the lips. And that's that. No, I don't know. I know. How long ago? Three years ago? Four years ago. I was a little baby twink. Oh, twink just really sounds like a cute game, which I guess is the point, isn't it? Like tiddlywink. And this was before you landed the role on 13 Reasons Why, too, wasn't it? No, it was right after it had come out. And so, yeah, I was making the rounds. Oh, you were twirling. You were being seen. Because you get told to do this. You get told to be kind of visible, guys. Yeah, you do, yeah and, I, and I went to like, a, I went to a lot of firsts and lasts that year. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Tell me another random one. Oh, goodness. 
I went to a Park and Ronin fashion show, which I just, like, did not belong. There's still these horrifying <laughs> photos of me and Andrew Rannells, and I'm like, Oh. Hey. <laughs> um, I went to a couple store openings. Why? I went to, like, 14 Teen Vogue luncheons. <laughs> and then I, I went speed dating with charities during gala season. I picked, like, w- two. I was like, these two are the ones that I'll I'll continue going to, which are the Alley Forney Center, which I still do work with and I volunteered at. And then um, I do stuff for Trevor Project, which is a nationwide hotline for uh, queer people dealing with suicide ideation and depression and all of those things. And then Alley Forney Center provides shelter and programming for homeless LGBTQ youth, which it's the only place in the country that does that. You, my dear girl are on the cover of our beauty issue. So tell me about the feeling of taking this picture. Well, goodness. I felt like I looked really good. Like I felt very confident and empowered. And it was the end of the day. And you guys found this amazing hat from Harlem's Heaven, which is a flower of some kind. I had sent you this reference photo of a burlesque performer, Bambi, who is still alive, by the way. Lives in Paris, is Wait, tell 85 me about, tell me about Bambi. years okay. old. Bambi's a stage name. She's a Algerian-born French trans woman. She's a showgirl at La Carousel for 20 years. She also went to college and acquired multiple degrees and became a teacher of literature. There's a documentary that was made, actually in the year I got sober, 2013, called Bambi, which I think won something at the Berlin International Film Festival. Anyway, ultimately, she's just like this iconic trans woman. And, you know, we were talking about beauty and all this stuff. And I was like, trans beauty is so specific. And I think ultimately really inspiring for a lot of people who, uh, whether they know it or not, appropriate these like hyper feminization makeup techniques, which such as such as a little contour or uh, I mean, really carving the face out. We're carving the face. We're lining the lip a little bit. We're pulling this part up with a nice cat eye like we did in this shoot. And so I think and it was your idea to do the cat eye. Kennedy, my makeup artist, is really good at making me feel like the most beautiful woman in the world. She really did. And we were kind of rushing at the end of the day, which I love. That's like my favorite time of the shoot is when we're like, okay, we got to get it. We got to we got to get it. And so we didn't have time to like, try. it was just, I think we did like four frames and then we were done. <laughs> I'm talking about someone that's completely in her skin. And that's you because in... Some of the pictures, the first or second frame, we just had it. And it was so clear. It just was like, here you are, exactly where you should be. I just felt so ready. You know, it's the first time I've done a women's magazine ever. You're a magazine for everybody, but historically, more women are on the cover of InStyle than other people. And that felt really, really validating for me. I'm a trans woman. I look a little bit different than other women. I want to pay homage to a trans elder, right? Like, it's sort of like knowing, like, you want to know your Australian history, right? Like, you're obsessed. You're just, I know you, Laura. Like, we go to tea and all you talk about are Australians. (laughs) My marsupial ancestors. In kangaroos. and, And all I talk about are just trans burlesque dancers from Paris. And I think... Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, I just was going to say, I think what a treat to be a trans woman covering in style, paying homage to a trans woman who truly broke down barriers at a time when 
it was, I mean, uh, beyond unsafe. From what I understand of people who've spent time with Bambi, it's like, it's her world and you're living in it, right? And she doesn't give you the opportunity to knock her down. I really like to explore this concept of trans elders because it's a community that has been so marginalized, was been traditionally marginalized and looking to others who've come before. Well, information is power. And when you're trans prior to the last 10 years, 15, whatever, prior to the internet, especially, right? You had no way to get information about how to transition, how to medically transition, if that's something you're interested in. And ultimately, you relied on other trans women who had done it to teach you the way, to mother you, to parent you, to older sibling you. In the simplest terms, it's like mentorship. And then there's stealth history. And there's, there's, a, there's a myriad of ways people were trans and and never out. So that's stealth history? Yeah, right. Like during Bambi's history, transition and marry a man in Greenwich, Connecticut, and like nobody knows, like, because you're so passing. That is part of our history as well. And I think there's so many different ways to go about being trans. And I think there's so much that you need to learn about protecting yourself and safety that ultimately a cis woman would not be able to fully educate me on. So that type of mentorship is unparalleled to me. If you're not in a coastal city, you really need to rely on, especially if you're in like a rural town and you're transitioning, you 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 must connect with and rely on trans elders. And I think what's really interesting about this new generation, I think some of the like Gen Z kids have been trans their whole life, have identified as a girl their whole life, but it's not until they're an adult that they meet other trans people and then sort of stop identifying as a girl, almost like a cis girl, and start educating and immersing themselves in trans culture. Because ultimately, you're going to have to... I, I think there's validity and importance in, um, in the distinction between, between the two, right, just in this life. I think it's super important for, for the kids or the adults or anybody who's considering or feels overwhelmed or intimidated by this idea. I'm here to tell you, you can do it too. But you said one thing you also said in our story was, which I thought was interesting, before you began to medically transition, trans women would spot you and say you're trans. T.S. Madison, she's a sort of incredible trans woman on the internet and super intelligent writer and all these different things. She has a story of a, a trans person at a drive through. I think that she was working at the drive through and a trans woman came through and pointed at her or something and was like, you're a girl. And I've had a similar experience. It's sort of like you just recognize something in one another. And I've recognized it in other people prior to their transition, too. Game recognizes game. <laughs> game recognizes game. Beauty recognizes beauty. Power recognizes power. What can I say? We shot this literally a week since you'd sort of, quote unquote, come out on the cover of Time magazine. Tell me about the response to that and what has been the most surprising or most rewarding. Mm, I think ultimately I'm like emotionally hungover from that week still. <laughs> I kind of thought like the news cycle is so fast. We're going to be in, we're going to be out. And ultimately the support has been overwhelmingly positive and I cry a lot just out of gratitude. And, and, and it's also a recognition that I am, I'm, I am in an incredible place of privilege 
being a trans woman with the type of job you can that go I have, to Time Magazine. But I can, can go to yeah, Time Magazine yeah, yeah. and I can tell my story. And ultimately, the reasons behind that clarification piece coming out piece is it's it's because I think there's there's validity and importance to different trans experiences. And I hadn't seen anyone with the sort of my my experience of transition, or I had never seen a body in transition actually. And so to be a person who's on the internet and in television and in film and writing things and shooting things and on the cover of in style and doing, you know, doing a thing with time and not, not archiving all my Instagram photos from forever ago and like allowing people into the physical, emotional, mental transformation is that is, is required in something like trans puberty it is something that I think is really valid and hopefully will help a lot of people. And I've had some really incredible DMs and people on the street and, you know, people who are like, I told my parents my new name because of you. You helped me gain the confidence to start hormone. Like that makes it worth it. Right. And then in, in all the insecurities and the shame and the internalized transphobia, I feel looking at myself, not being as passing as I wanted to be or and, and ultimately, recognizing that I appear and exist, I am a trans woman, and, and that's an important thing to value and see and celebrate um, in the same way that, you know, other trans women in this industry have been celebrated. There's no one way to be trans. Here's my way, but your way is perfect as well. You never have to go on hormones. You can go on hormones. Like, there's so many different ways that you can one can transition. I'm just giving you my experience. You can start transitioning at 11. You can transition at 60. And that's a valid trans experience. Or, you know, in your 30s, if you're trans masculine and you're Elliot Page and you're just fucking killing it. There's so many different ex- explorations and expressions. And, and to me, I had always seen trans women in media who were well into their transition, looked very, very, very feminine you know, I saw beauty and grace and I saw something spiritually within them and within me, but I didn't ultimately see me there. There are a lot of people who are in process, right, who are cocooning or whatever. There is something about the frankness of your generation. Hollywood used to be a game of mystery, right? It used to be this like mystique and then social media came for the millennial generation in a way and kind of like opened up the portal of sharing everything for better or worse. And anyone who's the first to do something has the hardest time in life, right? And so I and I'm indebted to and grateful for any trans woman who did this, who has done anything remotely close to what I've done before to help make it easier for me. I in turn will make it easier for other people. Or in terms of frankness, some elder voices of the millennial generation who opened up the doors of vulnerability and, and authenticity and rawness in a public space to help people and be of service. It's really meaningful to me. You're pretty hooked up in young Hollywood. Tell me about the sort of the young Hollywood that you started in and the young Hollywood that you're transitioning out of too. Yeah. I, <laughs> well, I, I found myself at a bar, which is very rare for me in downtown New York. Uh, it's like one of those like, chic, like you go through the kitchen up the stairs you can like still smoke inside kind of place. And I found myself walking in with some of the new cast members of Gossip Girl and then getting pulled to a table by Josh O'Connor from The Crown <laughs> and, and some other friends from there. I was like, looked to my right and I looked to my left and I was like, I'm really bridging the gap. <laughs> I was like, I'm really bridging the gap of like highbrow, critically acclaimed British drama with like very adult actors who... A.K.A. Gossip and, Girl. <laughs> and, like, 
HBO Max teen soap opera, aka The Crown. And and I'm just bridging the gap between these two streamers, you know, these two streamers who are in conflict and competition. And I think it's so funny because so, yeah, I mean, so when I, first of all, no one is young in young Hollywood, right? It's like everyone is 25 or 30 and that's okay. (laughs) Um, It's changed a little bit. But when 13 Reasons Why came out, it was sort of part of this renaissance of teen dramas. Like 13 Reasons Why and Riverdale were these like two shows that came out and kind of blew up teen drama land. We were Netflix's first teen drama, which is crazy to think of now because it was only like five years, four years ago. And they've had, you know, 17 kissing booths, OBX, (laughs) Elite. Like every week we have a new teen drama on Netflix, which is great. It adds different types of characters and ultimately still like not enough trans characters ever. Like I I don't understand how like any streaming platform network can have like 15 different YA shows. And only have, like, one trans character on one of those shows. It's it's mind-boggling to me. It has to change. It has to change. Especially because everyone in Gen Z is gender fluid. I mean, I'm going to talk a little bit of shade. But, like, if you're buying a teen show that's created by, you know, someone in their 40s, it seems like a not a great investment, in my opinion. But who am I to judge? I will. <laughs> everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Welcome back to Ladies First with me, Laura Brown. I'm talking to Ms. Tommy Dorfman about her early days in the young Hollywood scene. It is hilarious. What was that first exposure, celebrity exposure like for you? Because you, your first was your first celebrity exposure, but also within this particular teen environment, which is a particular fan base. Because we were the first on Netflix, we did not know if anyone was going to watch this show. It's overwhelming. Your first acting jobs, you you don't make a lot of money. I think there's this misconception that like you're suddenly like a millionaire, and it's like no, I made two thousand dollars an episode season one of 13 reasons why which is not i mean it's not a lot of money like i was making two to five thousand an episode that's a bonobo suit that's a bonobo suit and i was like working at a bagel shop right before i started (laughs) and then it comes out and suddenly you're quote-unquote famous or recognizable but you didn't make enough money to actually support yourself for the long term and so then it's like well do i go back to the bagel shop being the person from 13 reasons why and I think the, the great joy is like the the commodification of social media. And Instagram is now like my day job in between acting jobs. And I'm like so grateful for that because it's allowed me to provide for like myself, my family, aka my dogs. Um, <laughs> it's like I think everyone who's been on a hit teen show, whether it was Freaks and Geeks or The OC or 13 Reasons Why or what is it, OBX or whatever the new one is. Out of banks. Whatever it is, you all share the experience of like pure chaos. 
<laughs> and it's, it's a rite of passage. And it's also like something you have to be really cautious of, right? And I'm grateful that I'm sober and I'm grateful that I'm older and that I'm grateful that like when our show became successful, I was like, okay, I need like a guiding light. Like not someone I need to be in contact with, but I need to like go back to all the other shows that were really successful and figure out who are the people from those shows that are still working today? What are they doing? How are they working? How are they operating? Who are your comrades in chaos? Who are your buds, young Hollywood buds that you, you know, you've stuck with and... Oh, uh, I mean, Cami Mendez is like one of my best friends. We kind of came up in the same era, if you will. I mean, she's actually like a superstar, movie star icon and... I'm Little Miss T, but we share this experience of like going to acting school and then right out of acting school, booking a job. You know what I mean? We're close. I'm still close with people from the show. They do this for the stands. Do you still talk to Selena? No. And I didn't mean it in that way. It's just, no, I don't. And I, it's not that I wouldn't talk to I just wouldn't even, I, I wouldn't even know how to get in contact with her. <laughs> <laughs> and that in, of, in and of itself is another like lesson of working, right? Sometimes in Hollywood, friendships aren't necessarily friendships. They're just part of business, ultimately to promote something. And then when that is no longer necessary or needed, then things... And there's no bad blood across the board with anyone I've worked with that I don't speak to anymore. It's just the reality that our jobs are fast and quick and they come and they go. Whereas if you were at a company for 10 years and you moved to another company, you're not going to be friends with everyone you worked with from that company. I had to learn that like it's a kind of a similar situation. It's like if you've gone to college and you make all your friends at orientation, you're like, these are my best friends forever. And <laughs> then like six months later, you don't even know their names. Like there's like there's kind of something like that in our industry. Yeah, because it's so uh, transient. But then six months later, you make the friends you're supposed to make. Sometimes Hollywood friends become real friends. There are people in my life that I met as Hollywood friends, and now they're like real friends. You know, yesterday I was driving in Montauk, and I started crying so hard that I had to pull over Why? because I was driving to East Hampton. And I, have you ever had a moment where you're like, you, I don't know if you've ever cried while driving, but it, it is like- I can't like, drive, but I've is, cried. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but like, so crying, like crying, if you've ever seen the movie Juno and she has to pull yes. over like that, it's sort of like similar to that. What happened? Well, nothing. It just, I, just hormones. I don't know. Uh, you had a wobbly. Um, I just, had a wobbly. I was just having a wobbly day and, and one thing triggered another thing and triggered another thing. And, and I'm a very sensitive person. And, and in that moment, I, I was, I called one of my best friends who like I met four years ago, but is technically sort of like a Hollywood friend. But then those people are really important in my life because they mentor me. You've got to have an anchor because in this business, it's, it vacillates so much. And then there are people like you who I've met that stay in my life. And we didn't work together until four years into our friendship, right? I wish, I. the thing is with Selena, it's like I'm, I, I was a fan first and a friend and then a coworker friend second. And now I'm back to being a fan. And like, that's a great place for me. Tell me about uh, ambition. And also, if you had your druthers and, and tell me about what you're working on now, what where you would ideally see yourself. I've always looked at like Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick as like the perfect perfect acting career where like they get to do what they want for the most part. They provide for their family. They live a really amazing life and, and they're chill. Like they're chilling. Yeah. Did you see his Instagram yesterday? He, he dove into a pool with a dog at the same time. And I was like, that's winning. It was like synchronized. Like chef's fucking kiss, right? Is there a way to be famous and be entrepreneur or like, like my dream is to have a studio in 10 years and I'm already producing stuff right now. And like, I'm working towards that more 
I'm directing stuff and I'm writing stuff and I'm attaching myself to stars and stuff that other people wrote. What am I doing with this life that I've I've worked really hard to get? I always knew. Like when I was a kid, I was like, you are going to live a public facing life. I don't know why and what that's about. It's just like, I just knew. And so when I, remember I graduated college and like, I was fake concerned that I wouldn't get a job as an actor, but I really wasn't. It was this weird. And when I started auditioning for 13 Reasons Why, I was like, this is my job. I just knew it in my body. What else have you known? Tell me everything you know. I knew that Trump was going to get elected. I knew it. When things have happened, well, one, I work really fucking hard as well. So it's not like I just rest on my laurels because I'm like, oh, it's going to happen. I work really, really, I work so hard. I work in a way that I think drives other people in my life crazy because I don't stop. What's a typical day when you're not actively shooting something? I wake up and I walk my dogs and I get coffee and I like to walk to coffee wherever I am. I walk to coffee in New York. I walk to coffee in LA and I come home and I do like a little spirit spiritual stuff and it's early. Because you're sober and you can get up early. Because <laughs> I'm sober and I can get up early and I don't drink. Uh, I read from the Book of Awakening by Mark Nepo. It has like daily passages. It's, it's a beautiful like daily meditation book. I don't do the meditation because <laughs> who has time? <laughs> and then I pull a tarot card which I love doing and it's a day, but sometimes I pull three and then the day varies. I'm in process developing a bunch of projects right now, but I basically work from like nine to six and then I try to stop at six and I do try to have lunch around one in between. I'm working on a brand right now. So there's like developmental stuff there. You know, sometimes it's auditioning, meeting with directors, meeting with producers. Doing some fashion things. Pat, we're going to see each other in New York, but we're going to go to Paris, France and you're going to work on some Luke's in Paris, France. Are you excited to go to fashion shows again? I miss it so much. I hope it happens. And I miss Paris. And it's just so romantic and so sexy. And I just want to like walk around with my boo in Paris. I'm going to two shows in Paris. And I think maybe going to go to one show in Milan before. I miss it. I miss it so much. I'm so excited. But before that, I get to see you in New York. Say, look at us. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. It's called 10 Firsts. This first question is, is is for boozers mostly, but it doesn't matter. First drink you order. First drink I ordered actually, I think, was a Kettle One Martini with olives. And now? Mocktail, ginger mocktail. I had dinner last night at Via Carota and I had a ginger soda. Oh, ginger is so good. It's so good for your bits. Okay, first thing you look at on your phone in the morning. The clock. What does it tell you? That it's too early. <laughs> It's too early to be up. Um, and, and ultimately, also, my dog's faces are the first thing I see. So nice. First person you call? My dad. Tell me about your dad and why he's a legend. My dad is just always up. He gets up at 5 a.m. He's become a very spiritual, meditative, like borderline Buddhist person. And I just find him to be really grounding and soothing. I don't call him every morning, but he he's usually, if I am up and I'm making a call early, as I was the other day, I was driving to a meeting quite early and 6 a.m., I think. And he, and he was up. So I called him on the way and it was so nice. So usually he's my first call or my manager, Doreen, who you met. And I, I just adore her and we've been working together forever. And she's sort of my mom in so many ways for work. She was very excited on our set. She was like all a quiver. Oh my God. Okay. What makes you laugh or what's the last thing that made you laugh? Oh, White Lotus, Jennifer Coolidge. Forever. Also, 
like Jennifer Coolidge, Best in Show, Jennifer Coolidge, Legally Blonde. I mean, Jennifer Coolidge. She's so special. Yes. What is it she manages to do with just a, her face? One of the last fashion shows we all went to was a Luove show, and you were there, and as was Jennifer Coolidge, and I was sat next to her. Don't worry. I got a selfie. I never walk up to famous people to ask for a selfie, and I was uncontrollable. Like, a demon literally took over my body and was like, you have to do it. <laughs> okay. First fashion splurge. <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> Versace jeans. <laughs> uh, <laughs> button down. Freshman year of high school. <gasps> Come on. Come on. How, what sort of cut with a jeans? Or wraps him in shorts oh. as well. Like two months later, I, I learned about Raph and I bought Raph and I got Raph's Raph shorts. Go back to the Versace. How, what was the cut? It, well, no, it was, a, it was like a button down oh, shirt. shirt. It was like a men's dress shirt and it had the Versace logo as really thin pinstripes. And I bought it oversized and I would wear it over my like skinny Subi oh, jeans. My people, what was your last fashion splurge or fashion thing you acquired that just delighted you? I mean, this dress I love. It was a splurge for me. It's a Prada penny, by the way, everybody. I'm a big Raph stan and I'm a big fashion like history buff. And so this is Raph Prada, obviously. But when Raph launched women's, I was like, I can't afford to collect art right now or probably ever because art's just so expensive. And I'm and I'm less interested in that. I mean, I love art, but I'm re- I love fashion. I really struggle getting rid of stuff. And I was like, okay, I'm going to focus my hoarding efforts on archiving Raph women's wear. Raph launched women's when I transitioned. It's clearly... It was planned. So I have been splurging on collecting Raph women's. I have like a couple skirts that I'm just obsessed with, a couple dresses, uh, two knits from this first season. And I will I will be going to Dover Street Market in a couple of weeks and probably getting some of the second season. Yeah, that's my fashion splurge. You must. Okay. First time you owned your shit. Professionally, personally, something that you were like, I'm not going to put up with whatever anymore in high school freshman year of high school i fell in love with this boy named will we had a brief affair and instead of coming out i changed you know how facebook you, when i'm not on facebook anymore but i had a facebook and you, at the time it was very binary and it was like i am a man interested in men yes. and like now i think i would put like i am a goblin interested in other goblins <laughs> like I, you know what i mean but <laughs> i am a witch looking for her wizard <laughs> Looking for her non-binary prince. Uh, no, I I was like, I'm going to rock the world at Paideia School in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a man interested in men. And I just remember Barney's Co-op had opened in Atlanta. And I, I was there so much as a kid. Like, not buying stuff all the time, obviously. But just, like, touching clothes. That they, would, they tracked my height growth <laughs> in the dressing room. Literally. Pilar was like my best friend at Barney's and it was like Tom Brown first season and I would just walk around wearing the knits <laughs> and the suits. Anyway, that's the kid I was. I had no friends. I just had friends who worked at malls. Anyway, I, I would put on, I think I put on like a rag and bone number or band of outsiders. I think I wore band of outsiders that day. It was iconic. You know, the year was 2007 or something. And I stomped through the halls of my high school. And in my head... It really was 
like a slow-mo. I was like in the center of a frame and you were watching all the kids at the lockers like gawk and turn their heads as I was walking. And I wore vintage snakeskin boots like all the time at that time in my life. Healed ones. And I was just stomping through. It was, this was like pre-glee. But I was like just literally runway walking through my hallway and I and I was like, everyone's talking about me and they just know and I don't care. And I am I am gay and I'm out and I am proud. And no one else was out in my grade and no one was out in the grade above me. And Will was two years bef- above me and he was out. He fucking broke my heart. Um, but we're still friends. Uh, <clears throat> and yeah, and that that was probably the first time I really owned my shit. That, my dear girl, is perfect. Okay. First date. Was it Will? Will and I pretended that we were having a Super Bowl party at his house so we could fuck <laughs> and sing musical theater songs. At the same time? I would say one of my first dates that I remember, and I'm not going to count the middle school straight years because those were weird, was with who my friend my friend who is now Violet Chotchke. Oh. We were 15. And... We went to a movie. What movie? I don't. I don't remember the movie. <laughs> Duh. Uh, we were like making out the whole time. And you're still friends. See, look at that. That's very modern. We're, I mean, yeah, we we didn't talk for like many, many, many years for no reason. No, like there was no bad blood or anything. Again, I love saying there was no because baby, now we got bad blood. We just grew apart, and then we we found ourselves having the same agent. This is what I mean. Sometimes your old friends become your Hollywood friends. This is a universal sentiment. Sometimes your old friends become your Hollywood friends, guys. Just FYI. If you take anything home from this conversation, it's that. Okay, next question. Yay, this is fun. First thing you turn on TV. I dream scroll on telly. <laughs> dream scroll? scroll? Which, by that, I mean I go from streamer to streamer to streamer, watching just the quick bit trailers, trying to figure out if this is something I actually want to watch or not. That's like the first hour of me watching television unless it's like the new season of succession is out and i know exactly what i'm doing with my next hour and if it's cable it's like h i love just having hgtv roll in the background sometimes anything particular on hgtv there's actually this really cute i think it's on hgtv they have some show where it's like celebrities come and like gift renovations to their to their friends like like brad pitt did one for like his makeup artist love it or list it i think is fun but to be honest i think all the people who host hgtv shows like voted for trump probably so like they probably all hate me (laughs) don't they all look they all look like they all look like they vote for they voted for trump um looks like there is a demo which is even more reason why you need to go on there property brothers okay we have two three more and then we're done okay uh first thing you do or eat if you're stressed out Ice cream. What flavor? Yesterday, Big Gay, I went to Big Gay Ice Cream and got a vanilla ice cream soft serve. And then they put Dolce de Leche and then they put sea salt and then they dip it in chocolate. What is it about Big Gay Ice Cream? In the- Actually, when I was really stressed yesterday, I got a lobster roll. After pulling over and, and, and crying until I, like, I couldn't breathe and couldn't drive crying on Montauk Highway, my friend who I called was like, it's lunchtime. Clearly, you haven't eaten. Otherwise, you would maybe be feeling a little bit better. So I suggest going to this lobster place in Montauk, ordering a $50 lobster roll, eating the french fries, eating it all, and drinking an entire bottle of water. (laughs) And I did that, and it made me feel so much better. And now she's cured. I mean, that's just so fulfilling, the $50 lobster roll. Okay, first car you bought. My parents bought me a car in high school, which thank you, mom and dad. But I think first car I bought 
was a Volkswagen Golf. Oh, that's so bougie. Well done. But I, so I loved cool. it. I loved it, but I have to drive a big car now. Okay, lastly, and firstly, first thing you'd say to a young kid teenager who's looking at you, who's not quite there yet, who's trans, what would you say? I would say you're divinely held. All right, then. <laughs> also, Laura, you're divinely held. So anyone who's struggling, it's such a nice reminder you are divinely held. My darling, Tommy Dorfman. I love you. Thank you so much. This is a dream. I'm just so happy to have met you. I'm so happy at how you move through the world. An example that you set and how much you will continue to grow and the impact you've made and how you're so clearly yourself in an industry that is very hard. It's so um, it's testament to your strength of character and the example that you set. And guess what, kids? We've just found you a new elder. <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. I'm 22 years old. I don't know what you're talking about. That's crazy. Thanks for joining me and Tommy Dorfman. Join me next week when I'll be hanging out with the ever honest Jessica Alba. This has been Ladies First with Laura Brown. We can be found at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow us so you don't miss an episode. And we'd love your feedback. If you could please rate us and leave us a review and make me feel loved, it'd be great. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Danielle Roth, Anne Ford, Anne Kane, and Andy Bosnack. And thanks to Brian Anstey, Molly Stout, and Haley Mason at InStyle. You can find out more at InStyle.com. Find us on Instagram at InStyle Magazine, on Twitter at InStyle, and you can find me on Insta and Twitter at LauraBrand99. See you next week for more Ladies First with me, LB. 